Well, tonight we are going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So we're continuing in the introduction of the book of Galatians, this letter that was written uh, to the Galatian churches, and I'm going to bring up the map once again so we can see that there. So that blue area, and these are the three churches that uh, Paul um, had helped to, to uh, found and establish there that quickly were infiltrated by those who were uh, began to proclaim an altered gospel, which Paul makes clear is an entirely different gospel. And I was listening to a sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, about on this passage, and he made a very keen observation. He, uh, you know, he, he said, basically, we kind of actually might have a bit of understanding and sympathy for these Galatian churches and how they could have been duped uh, so easily. Uh, here you have a lot of um, likely Gentile converts who have no history with the uh, Old Testament uh, scriptures, uh, and they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then suddenly, these people show up at the church, and they're and they're you know they're making references to Deuteronomy and Exodus and Numbers, and they're telling them, and they're pointing them to the commands, and you know, and Abraham was circumcised. Are you greater than Abraham? And you know, and and all of a sudden, you, you know, you start going that you're like, yeah, that I can see why they might be taken in that way, why they might be duped uh, due to their ignorance of the Christian scriptures. But that's them. And, and, and the good doctor asked, what excuse do we make for ourselves today? For there are many false gospels bandied about. Now granted, most of them are rehashed heresies from centuries ago. Yet time seems to only multiply them, not reduce them. We can understand then the confusion of some secular people who come along and say, well, I don't know about your gospel. What about the gospel over at that church or the gospel over at that church? They say something else and they say something else. Why am I supposed to believe what you have to say? What about other religions and what they have to say about God, humanity, morality, and the afterlife? Why is your good news better than theirs? Why is your good news true and theirs is false? What is it different about it? And the answer is rather simple that Paul puts forward to us, which is that the gospel, the true gospel, it comes from God from heaven and not from men on earth. Last week, we considered how when one changes the gospel of Jesus Christ, it becomes no gospel at all. It doesn't become gospel light 
It just becomes a false gospel. It doesn't become gospel extra. It becomes a false gospel. It is destructive. And so this requires us basically to focus upon our singular aim tonight. To consider and to be clear about the unchanging nature of the gospel. That is what the sermon is about tonight. No other gospel, because the gospel itself, in its nature and its content, is unchanging. And, and what we see, um, first of all, is that, uh, it, is that the, the content of the gospel, Paul makes clear, is independent of the messenger. The content, the, the content of the gospel is not dependent upon the person who preaches it. You can have 10 different people preaching, but they all have to preach a specific gospel if they're going to be preaching the gospel. If they just change the message to whatever their preference is, well, then, uh, well, then it's no longer the gospel. Now, the gospel can be communicated in different languages. It can be communicated in different ways, yet the content must remain the same, even if it must be contextualized in particular ways. And, there, and we have to recognize that there are many false gospels in the world. But Paul is clear, absolutely clear. He says it doesn't matter if he or an angel should come and, and bringing something claiming to be a gospel, claiming to be the good news from God, if it is different than what Paul had presented at first, it is no gospel at all. Because for the Galatian Christians, men were coming into the church, claiming to be Christians, saying that faith in Jesus was necessary, but you also need obedience to the law, which begins with circumcision, or you cannot be saved. It wasn't, oh, you know, it's a good medical necessity. or They weren't making that kind of argument. They're saying, for salvation, you must believe in Jesus and be circumcised. Thus, without faith... In obedience to the law, you cannot be saved. It is Jesus plus the works of the law that grants salvation, according to these Judaizers. And there are many so-called gospels out there today. There's, there's tons of them. There's, uh, there's some, some, uh, some that have been around for a long time, and they're sticking around still. There's what, what has been called uh, the social gospel that defines salvation primarily in terms of solving societal problems. In the social gospel, we build the kingdom of God by addressing the issues of poverty, inequality, and injustice. There's nothing wrong with addressing those issues or even addressing the gospel implications for those issues, but addressing those issues is not itself the gospel. Related to this is what we might call liberation theology. It focuses on delivering people from social, political, and economic oppression. That, and, and they say that is the heart of the gospel. It's freeing the oppressed. So who is the oppressed? The good news is freeing them from whatever is oppressing them. That's the gospel. The gospel is fighting injustice and caring for the marginalized. Again, the gospel has implications for, uh, for injustice and for those who experience it. It has implications for how the church cares for the needy and for those who are, uh, who are ostracized. We talked about it today, how Jesus, in, in the Gospel of Luke, who did he care for? 
He cared for the marginalized. He cared for uh, the Gentiles and the Samaritans and the sick and the poor and the lepers and the outcasts and the tax collectors and sinners. He cared for them. He showed them compassion. And so, and, and so, and so there are implications for that. But the heart of the gospel is not in, a te- in just simply addressing somebody's temporal needs and their lifestyle as if somehow if we just get people up to the middle class of American society, somehow that is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not. There's, of course, the prosperity gospel that holds faith and positive thinking and positive speech, you know, speaking your reality to, into existence. And of, and, of course, let's not forget the obligatory donations to your apostle. Uh, that will increase definitely your health, wealth, and happiness, right? Now, if you get, just so you know, if you give me money and you don't get richer, that's on you because you didn't have enough faith, but you need to give me more, more money. Don't, don't stop doing that, right? That's what they teach. There's a Roman Catholic gospel that says Jesus saves, but in order to be delivered from torment and purgatory, you must make use of the sacramental system. It is grace, faith, and works that enable you to get into heaven or at least to shorten the amount of time you spend in the tormenting fire of purgatory. Perhaps we should add to this uh, list uh, the great false gospel of our modern time, which is what I'm calling the gospel of the absolute self. The belief that I am the final arbiter of truth, that I can determine my own path in the universe uh, by whatever schemes, thoughts, imaginations, or desires that I have, and no one has the right to question me or contradict me. And we have not even addressed here other religions like Jehovah's Witnesses who earn their place amongst God's people by their good works. It's just straight up good works. Or the LDS Church, the Mormons who seek to deify themselves, to make themselves gods through faith and good works. Or the Muslims who by their deeds and faithfulness to the five pillars of Islam somehow merit entrance into paradise. Now, I also do want to take note here, and I always think about it when I read this passage in Paul in Galatians, that both the LDS Church and Muslims claim revelation given to their founders by an angel. Angels in Jewish history were considered to be bearers of God's revelation and often the means by which he delivered new revelation to his people. Even Jewish uh, uh, rabbis speculated that it was actually an angel that was like in the burning bush communicating uh, a revelation to Moses. But, but what does Paul say? He says it doesn't matter if an angel, if Gabriel, if Michael, or if the fictional you know, Mormon angel Moroni... Uh, himself comes, if they have a different gospel than the one that Paul preached at the beginning, then let him be accursed. Because the gospel is not beholden to the messenger. The messenger of the gospel is beholden to the gospel because the gospel comes from God. But this bears a, a, a further um, inquiry into the actual gospel that Paul preached. 
Because we need to recognize here that Paul is making a bold claim. We need to ask ourselves, why is he making such a bold claim? Last week I noted how, uh, you know, in all the other letters that Paul writes, I mean, he's writing to the church in Corinth, which we all agree is just a, as a mess up church. There's all kinds of nastiness, factionalism, all kinds of crazy stuff going on in that church. He does not say to them what he says to the Galatians. There's stuff going on in, Thessal- in the churches in Thessalonica. There's stuff going on in the churches in the church at Ephesus. There's stuff going on in all the churches, but it, only Galatia does he say this. Does he say these things? And so, what is it that leads Paul to make a, such a bold claim as this? That if so, if someone comes preaching a different message. I mean, imagine if I were to give you something, you know, let's say it's not the gospel, but if I, if I were to tell you chocolate is the best uh, flavor of ice cream, clearly, and if you disagree with me, may, you know, may the full fiery wrath of God fall upon you and destroy you. You'd be like, okay, dude, you need to chill, right? Like, this is just an opinion. But, but, let's, let's, but you know, we hear that kind of rhetoric in, a, in our pol- politics today. <laughs> that's, that's basically what gets you know, people these flame wars where people going after each other, right? Um, but but, Paul, uh, but what, why does Paul say this? How can he say such a claim? How can he say, let someone be set apart for destruction if they, if they deviate from this message? And so uh, let's uh, so we need to consider the, the summary of what Paul had said. And I don't have this to bring up the screen tonight, but, it, but he actually lays out the summary of his gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it for us, and you can turn there in your Bibles as well. Uh, But he says in that passage, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, that makes me think of the Galatian church. Because he's concerned that the church is turning away from that message that he preached, the message, uh, the message that saves. But what is that message? Well, he continues in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul is saying, I didn't make this up. I didn't come up with it. It was given to me. And he actually makes it clear in later on in Galatians that he received it directly from Jesus Christ himself. And then he corroborated that message when it found, he found out that, that not only was he preaching the gospel, but also Peter was. And John and the apostles, he, they were preaching the same message independently. He says, and it is this, in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You can go check with them. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as one to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. There was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So we can take that and we can summarize it a bit. We could say that Paul's gospel is that Christ died for our sins, that Jesus was buried 
and raised on the third day, and that he appeared to the apostles, to James, to Paul, as well as to five other, uh, 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 500 other Christians at one time, or even simpler, Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised to life, and is indeed very much alive. This is the gospel that is saving the Corinthians. Jesus died for our sins, our evil deeds, our wickedness. The wrath that was ours fell upon him. He took to himself the wrath of God for our sake. He was buried for us that we would overcome the grave in him. He was raised to life to give us eternal life. He is confirmed and witnessed alive to relieve our doubts and to confirm the promises of the good news that Jesus saves sinners. Notice that according to Paul, what is saving them, what they are standing in, what is delivering them, is the witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what is absent? What is not saving them? Works. Law. Circumcision. Sunday school attendance. Positive thinking. Progressive moralizing. Fighting injustice. Discovering our true selves deep down inside. None of that saves. Why? Because it doesn't save us from judgment and it doesn't save us to eternal life. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ does that. And this is what it really comes down to the point, which is the gospel is the only message that saves. Paul says this is the gospel he received. It was not given, it was not given to him by men. It wasn't given to him by the apostles. It was given to him by the Lord Jesus himself. But we might ask, well, why, doesn't, why don't we get it from the Lord Jesus himself? Why don't we get it that way then, if that's the case? Well, because we're not called to be apostles. And even then, Paul was the only one that was called in this way. He was called in an unusual way to be an apostle. He notes it. Barnabas didn't get that call from the Lord Jesus directly. Barnabas, I think, is a pretty good guy. Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, they didn't receive those, that call directly from Jesus like that. They received it like we did. They heard the gospel. They believed. Only Paul received it this way because Jesus had a particular call for him to bring the gospel to the Gentile nations and in doing so to learn how much he must suffer for the name of his Lord. Paul then is a man bound by the message. He's bound by the good news that comes not from him, not from another man, but from heaven, from the Lord Jesus himself. And the most important thing we need to remember about what sets the gospel apart is the gospel, the one and only true gospel, is the only good news that saves sinners and makes them saints. There's nothing like it. There's only one gospel that makes children of Satan into children of God. 
and gives them an internal inheritance. There is no self-help program that you can pay enough money for that will do it for you. It is a salvation that moves us to joy and to song to produce, that produces obedience with faith, that to live lives, committed to, committed to live lives of increasing godliness, that includes godly sorrow for our continued sins and follies and afflictions, but never despair because we know that we are not saved by a program of our works that we contrived or someone else did. We are saved by the power of God in his son, Jesus Christ. This is what stirs Paul's anger and why he calls down such furious wrath upon the false teachers because the false teachers would come in and they would rob these people of it. They would rob generations of the saving grace that is in Jesus Christ. And so this is why we see Paul is very clear that righteous judgment for our third, not second, third point is for the false teacher. Righteous judgment is for the false teacher. Because false teachers ought to be judged by God. You know, it's, I'm only half joking when I, when I, whenever we sing the Psalms and we sing that line, and it's, and it's, there's so almost something humorous about singing to Amazing Grace. You know, this, this, uh, the song, the, 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 the Psalm that uh, basically has a line that says, uh, you know, the Lord punching the enemies into the face and smashing their teeth. You're like this, you know, it's like it's not usually in Christian music. You're like, but it should be, <laughs> right? Because we have a God who is a God of justice and who defends his people and who will bring righteous judgment upon the wicked, upon all those who do not seek refuge under his wings. But all those, to who, the, all those who do seek refuge under his wings, he gives lavish grace and mercy and joy eternal. But the man or woman who comes along with these false gospels whether one of them, several of them, whether one perverted form of Christianity or an amalgam of several religions, they come along and they give us you know, a pleasant nod and, and a pat on the head with an air of superiority because they have become more mature and transcendent than us silly Christians with our silly gospel. Because their gospel comes from, you know, because your, their gospel comes from you know, many years of study. And our gospel comes from some outdated book called the Bible. They proclaim their freedom, but they are blind to their chains. They have bound themselves to a system of works, to a system of despair and destruction, which will be the ruin of their souls unless their eyes are opened. And so Paul says that one who comes proclaiming anything other than the true gospel they come proclaiming an altered gospel, a substitute gospel. Let him be accursed. That word uh, there is um, in verse 9, accursed, is a very particular word. It was the word used particularly in sacrifices to refer to the, the, the thing that was set apart to be consumed entirely in the flames of sacrifice. That which was set apart for total destruction. That's what that word means. 
And so it is for those who proclaim false gospels, who proclaim slavery, calling it freedom, who proclaim destruction, calling it salvation. Twice Paul says it, and we should tremble at the thought of it. For it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel truly is the difference between life and death, the difference between freedom and slavery. The Christian we must see in submitting herself to God in Christ, in trusting herself to the salvation of God and Jesus by faith alone in his person, work, his death and resurrection is set free. But the freedom we have is Christian freedom. With that, that, that word operating upon the word freedom, specifically it is Christian freedom. It is not absolute freedom. It is not autonomous freedom. No such things exist. It is Christian freedom. That is, as Christians, we are freed from condemnation so that we may serve our Lord Jesus. For Paul says in Romans, as we once presented our members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, so now in Christ, we, we present our members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And he says, look, I'm using human terms because it's, it's, you, you ain't going to get it otherwise. And he says, he says, basically, you've been freed from the slavery that is, will destroy you, and you have become slaves of Christ, slaves of righteousness. Why do I follow my Lord? Why must I obey him? Why must I make war against sin? Because I can do no other. I am bound to my Lord Jesus. But it's, it is not an obedience that is, comes from a, 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 a fearfulness that's, that, you know, that, uh, that God's going to strike us with lightning. But it's an obedience that proceeds from faith as the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us by the Holy Spirit who lives inside us. But the false teacher who proclaims a false gospel leading others astray is doomed to destruction. Grace is available to all who will repent, but only the mercy of God can do it by His Holy Spirit and His Word. But as it is, false teachers... And those who follow them are enslaved to their commands, their demands, and their rules. There is no freedom. There is no life. There is, they are on the path of death. It's just, it's just one of the many lanes in the broad path that leads to destruction. This is true even in the most liberal theology, which requires one to hold and do certain things. Uh, you know, and, and to be nice and kind, but offers no salvation. It's legalism with a smile. Friendly legalism is still legalism. So at the end of the day, Paul wants us to know that there is only one salvation, only one gospel. And while many make, make use of the term gospel, they redefine gospel. They redefine even uh, the name of Jesus. They redefine uh, so many of our terms as the, as the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons do, as the Jehovah's Witnesses do. There is yet only one gospel. It doesn't change. Not because we don't want it to. 
Not because we're traditional fuddy-duddies, but because it comes from God, who is himself unchanging. It doesn't change because the gospel effectively is Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this gospel was given to the apostles, who have transmitted it to the church. In addition to this, we have four gospel accounts in our scriptures, which faithfully give us the narrative and teaching of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so the content of the gospel is not open to change or redefinition as much as aspects of it may bother us. If we don't like terms of sin and wrath, unfortunately, the gospel says you're going to have to deal with it because this is reality and this is what you face. It has been the same from the first day. It was even in fulfillment of promises. The gospel was it came in fulfillment of the promises going all the way back to the day of the fall in the Garden of Eden. And so let us today who hear the gospel, who believe the gospel, who know the gospel, who rejoice in the gospel, who treasure it, and who, may we treasure it, may we rejoice in it continually and share it just as we received it. Because God will judge false teachers. He will bring them and their teaching to ruin. But let us, who are the church of Christ, fill our minds with the grace of the gospel. For in Jesus we know not eternal cursing, that accursedness he speaks of, but we know in Jesus eternal blessing forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the gospel remains the same. From the first days in which it was proclaimed, even when Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and that he, he embodied the gospel, he, uh, he, he, he established it, he defines it, he is himself the gospel. Lord, and the apostles have taken the gospel forward as they received it and given it to the church. And the church has passed it down, Lord, and we know at times that we have lost it. We have misplaced it. We have altered it. We have added to it. We have taken away from it. And yet the gospel continues forward. And so, Father, we pray that in, in, in any way, if uh, I, the elders, our church, have forgotten the gospel, have gotten it wrong, have tried to add our own two cents onto the gospel, we pray that you would correct us. We pray that all that is of men would fall away as chaff and that all that will remain is that glorious treasure of grace and mercy and the love of God that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we would hold up that gospel and that we would shine the light of your grace around us and that others would receive it. They would hear it. They would see it. They would come and taste and see that the Lord is good and that his grace is free, and that we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith alone in the Son of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.